Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is the word of the Lord. If you would turn one more time to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I want to read to you verses 27 through 31. Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is the word of the Lord. You know, one of the things that uh, I hope we get in the sermon, and this is not in the notes, I think everybody that I ever talked to, everybody that I talked to, you know what they need? Whether I use the word or not, they need one thing. Whether I use the word or not, they need one thing. They need H-O-P-E. They need hope. <laughs> Every single person you talk to when they leave you, I hope that you give them hope. All around us as we look in this passage, we have choice men. We have strong men. There are men who are so strong. I, I was with a dinner a few weeks ago with Nick Herf. He's an army ranger. He walks around like this. He looks like a monster. He's strong. He's strong. These are there are choice strong men in the world. They're in the military, or they they go to the Olympics. But you know one thing about choice and strong men: even the strongest men they get tired. Even the choicest of men grow weary. They can't call on all their energy because they're already spent, and so they have to stop and they have to eat and they have to drink and they have to replenish their energy well what do you do when you feel spiritually spent what do you do when you're spiritually in despair and despondent what do you need to do to be renewed well we have an old testament church here 
who's in Babylonian captivity. They're behind Babylonian barbed wire, if you will. They're in a concentration camp. And they've been there for a long time, and they're despondent. They're in despair. Well, what do they need? What do you need when you are spiritually down and you're in despair? Well, you need spiritual strength. And so this morning, I want to give you three points. The first one is going to be spiritual strength, it's reality. The second is spiritual strength, it's deterioration. And third, spiritual strength, it's renewal. Spiritual strength, it is a reality. Now, here we have a church in the Old Testament. They're behind the Babylonian barbed wire, if you will. They've been taken into captivity. They're in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian, Babylon. And so there they are. But here's something we need to take note of in verse 31. It says, Yet those who wait for or hope in the Lord will gain new strength. In other words, there's strength that's already been, they've already had some strength. But they need new strength. They need to be renewed in their strength. Spiritual strength is a reality in every one of us who is a Christian. We have strength. You come into this world by nature, you do not have spiritual strength. By nature, you come into this world as a natural man. You come into this world with a natural heart. You come into this world with natural thoughts. You come into this world with no spiritual strength at all. You can't do anything spiritual. Jesus even says in John 14 that no one can come to Him apart from... No one can come to the Father apart from Him. Can come. No one has the ability to come. No one has any grace to come. You cannot do it apart from Jesus. And He says then, Paul tells us, that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Well, where does that power come from? You and I were told in Romans 5, 6, it says, you see, at the right time when we were still powerless, you and I, we cannot come apart from Jesus Christ. All things, we can't do anything, but we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. And so the word comes to us. The word of Jesus Christ, the gospel, comes to us. And the spirit of power takes the word and it works it into our hearts so that we're convicted of our sin. And we see our need of a Savior named Jesus Christ. And we place our trust in Him and our sins are forgiven. And Second Peter 1.3 says this, that God's divine power being given to us, then we are able, we are able to live a life of godliness. The Apostle Paul says that when this power works in us, Ephesians chapter 1, I don't think you think about it. We don't think about it enough, do we? Think about somebody who's dead. The Bible says Jesus was dead. His body was dead in a tomb. And the same power that raised that body up from death is the same power that raises you to spiritual life. You are dead. You don't, you don't want to know God. You don't think about God. You don't seek after God. And then all of a sudden you're raised up by this gospel that raises you up with power so that you can do the things that God wants you to do. Raised up, power, takes you out of the path of sin and death, takes you and places you into the path of righteousness and life. You move from a place where you're going to eternal burnings to a, to a place where you're going to eternal bliss. This is what the gospel does. Now, this is why I had... Uh, Mr. Ross, read 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this, verse 10. Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 
I worked harder than all of who? Who did he he work harder than? Who's he saying he worked harder than? He worked harder than all the other 12 apostles. (laughs) That sounds kind of prideful to me. (laughs) You prideful, Paul? He's saying, no, no. I worked harder than all of them, but who does he give the credit to? Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Why did he work so hard? Because of God. Because of God's grace. And so God gives us power. He gives us strength. It's a reality that you and I, we come into the world, we're not, we don't have any spiritual power, but when we come to Christ, we are given a spirit, a spirit of power and love. Second, spiritual strength. It can deteriorate. It can be deteriorated. Now, if you have a person who's hurt, if you have an athlete who's hurt, our our, uh, associate general secretary, when we were at the church planners conference, he um, ruptured his Achilles. And he came up to me and he said, what should I do? And I told him, I said, the best thing you can do while you heal is to work yourself out as much as you possibly can, all the other muscles. And there's reasons for that. I won't go into all that. But when you're, in, when you're injured, there's th- a thing called atrophy. Muscles get smaller. Now, that can happen in your brain, too. We got people who need to get back at playing their organ really hard because they might have a little atrophy in them. And we, sometimes we don't read as much, and then we have to get our brain back up to exercising it. And so when we, uh, we're injured, we get smaller. Our muscles get smaller. And when we are, our spiritual strength also can deteriorate. And these Babylonian captive, captives, they are in despair. Let me show you their despair for a second. Look at verse 27. And this is God speaking through the prophet. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel? And this is what they're saying. My way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. That's despondency. Hey, listen, when I need you the most, you're not around. <laughs> Where are you, Lord? Have you ever said that? We're behind Babylonian captivity. We're in these Babylonian walls, and we are alone. Have you ever watched The Great Escape? I may be showing my age here. The Great Escape by Steve Steve McQueen. <laughs> he's trying to get out of those. He's trying to get out of that concentration camp. He's trying to get out of that prison. And he's got hope. These guys don't have hope. These guys, all they can see is the Babylonian barbed wire. And all they can say is, where are you? You're not around. You know, one of the things that is interesting is that when we begin to complain and we think that God's not around, we start neglecting things. Have you ever done that? I'm just going to go get on the couch and I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to go get on the couch and I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to stop praying. I'm going to stop praising God for the things. Now, uh, uh, Mr. Blacklock and I were in here talking right before we walked in, and we said, you know what? There's just this mixture in this life, isn't there? There's sorrows and there's joy, and they all come at the same time sometimes. And we just forget to praise God for the things that we're given. We just leave off having spiritual conversations. We think that the best thing we can do is be alone. Well, let me tell you something, folks. And if there's anything you're going to hear me beat on, it's bad to be alone. I love being alone some. I covet being alone some. But it's bad to be alone, friend. And Spurgeon said this, Sin would have a man to be alone. And your flesh will love for you to be alone. And Satan would love for you to be alone. 
And you need to not be alone. You need to be with people. You need to be with God's people. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to get your attention with this one. How many of you are going to leave your teeth alone today? How many of you are going to not fellowship with your teeth today? How many of you are going to go home after you eat this food and decide, I'm just going to take, not going to use the toothpaste, not going to use my toothbrush, and I'm not going to visit my teeth after I eat? How many of you are going to do that? Not one of you. I mean, even our little kids know to go get their toothpaste out and get their toothbrush and brush their teeth, have a little fellowship with their teeth. You and I, we need fellowship with God and we need fellowship with each other. And this God says that, you know what we need? We need a God who goes the second mile. And this God, he comes and you know what he says? He says, <laughs> he starts asking him questions. Have you not heard? <laughs> Have you not seen? He starts saying, oh, Israel, he starts talking to him. We need a God who talks to us. And God, He speaks to us right here in this Word. We have a God who speaks to us from outside our world. He comes into this world and He gives us His Word. And here He is going the second mile with us. And this is where He begins to renew us. There is a future outside this barbed wire that we find ourselves sometimes inside. There's promises, there's plans, and God has them. And we call this, this is spiritual strength, this renewal. Now, Viktor Frankl was one of Europe's leading psychologists in 1942 to 1945, and he lived through uh, concentration camps in Auschwitz and three other Nazi concentration camps, and I think I read a little bit, many members of his own family died in these concentration camps. And he wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning, and he said this, he said, the difference between the people who survived in these concentration camps and those who did not survive in the concentration camps was not physical health, but it was their hope. It didn't necessarily have to be the guy who had all the muscles. It, didn't have, it wasn't necessarily based on blood and bone and muscles and biceps. It was based on hope. And he said when people... Strong people, when they lost their hope, when they stopped hoping for something outside the barbed wire, that's when they died. The people who hoped would live. He puts it like this. The prisoner who lost his hope, who's lo who lost his hope in the future was doomed. The person who lost his hope would let himself decline. The person who lost his hope would let himself decay, let himself deteriorate both mentally and physically. He went on to say, usually a fellow prisoner would have a sudden crisis, a sudden event which would then be followed by the de deterioration demonstrated by their refusal to get out of bed, to put on their clothes, and to eat and to wash. No matter how many times they were commanded to get up, no matter how many times the guards would come and beat on them, no matter how much they were threatened, they just lie in the bed motionless. If the crisis event involved sickness, they would just refuse to go to the doctor. They just gave up and eventually they would die. Like you and I need something that's hope, that gives us hope. And we need this hope, and it's outside of this world that comes into this world. The person of Jesus Christ is our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is our hope. We have many things to be thankful for. We have babies. We have a baby right over here. We have a place to worship. We have many things to be thankful for. We like food. I like chocolate fraps. Y'all know what a frap is? You know, the, one of these big sugar drinks full of caffeine? I like those. Um... I got family, I got red-headed wife, I got stuff, 
I got comfortable. We have comfortable living. But you know what? All that can be taken away. Is stuff all that we have? We have to have somebody bigger than stuff. The matter is all these things can be taken away. Let me read to you what John Owen writes. Eventually, something comes along so painful that nothing will relieve us but that which is in every way infinite. How did we start the service? How did we pray? We said we have a God who's what? Infinite. We prayed in our prayer we have a God who's infinite. We need somebody who's infinite, folks. Owen's telling us that one, there's something coming our way that will be so overwhelming to us, it will crush us such that we stay in the bed and not want to get up. And our only hope can be in a person who's infinite. And so we have to, in verse 31, we have to hope in the Lord. We have to wait upon the Lord who will renew our strength. And our Lord renews our strength as we hope in Him. And He holds us dear. Spiritual strength is renewed by hope in the Lord who holds you dear. Listen to what He says to His people. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel? What's He saying? He's calling His people by their name. He's reminding them of His relationship, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's reminding them of His love for them. He's reminding them that He's called them. He's reminding them that He's loved their forefathers. He's reminding them about, listen, you know what Jacob, Jacob means? You know what his name means? Our student over here ought to know what it means. But let me tell you what it means. It means deceiver. Jacob means deceiver. Jacob means trickster. Here's Jacob. You know what he did? In order to get the blessing, in order to get the, the birthright from his brother Esau, you know what he did? He tricked. He tricked him. He thought he could get the promise by tricking. And then he went off and he got tricked really badly by his own father-in-law. And then he came back only to know that his brother's coming to meet him and his brother's ready to kill him. And he's scared to death. And while he's in this one place all alone, God comes and puts his hands on him and begins to wrestle with him. God becomes in, in, intimate with him. He becomes near to him. And he asks him his name. He says, what's your name? And he says, my name's Jacob. I'm a supplanter. He says, I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. And then God called him by a new name. God says, now I'm going to call you Israel. Now I'm going to call you one who prevails with God. God came to him. God put his hands on him. God changed his name. How does God deal with you and me? Doesn't he call us by our name? Doesn't he say, hey, Mary, right outside the tomb? Doesn't he say your name and call you by your name and begin to put his hands on you? Yeah, you know, not physical hands. Maybe sometimes my hands or somebody else's hands. God uses our hands to love us. God calls us by our name and he shows us that he draws us near and he begins to talk to us. Talks to us in his word. He asks us questions. <laughs> I, I remind you what, so many months back we said that Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, you're the son of who? Son of nobody knows who John is. But I'm going to call you son of Simon, Simon Peter. Rock. He changes us. He makes us different by his grace. This is what you were. This is what you are. You were a sinner. Now you're a saint. You were not washed. Now you are washed. You were not justified. Now you are justified. This is what he does. He draws us near. Well, second... Spiritual strength is renewed by hope in the Lord who's great. And he shows us that he's great in four ways. 
Look at verse 28. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord? He's everlasting. Number one, He's great. He's everlasting. There's no beginning to God. There's no end to God. He's not bounded by any barbed wire, not bounded by any concentration camp's fence. He's the one who created time. He is in time and outside of time. You and I live in time, but not God. We tend to think that God forgets us. We tend to think that God doesn't take notice of us. But God is right here in the midst of us. If you want to go, you know that, that verse in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You want to go see a good explanation of that? Just go read Revelation chapter 1. Because you got this beautiful picture of Jesus. He's holding the stars in His hands. He's holding the ministers in His hands. He's standing among the lampstands, among the churches. He's with His people. He's guarding His ministers. He's guarding His people. He's in the midst of the people. What a beautiful picture of God being with us. He's a great God. He's an everlasting God. He's also great, we see, in His being a Creator. The Creator of the ends of the earth. How did God create it all? By the what? By the word of His power. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was life. He spoke and there were realms. He spoke and there were rulers placed in those realms. He spoke and there was a man. Jesus comes. God spoke Him into existence. Jesus comes and He says, By the word of His power, He forgives a young man of his sins. My son, your sins are forgiven. By the word of His power, He raises men up off their pallets. By the word of His power, He takes men and women who are dead in their trespasses and sins and He makes them alive in Jesus Christ and He seats them in heavenly places. <laughs> By the what? By the word of His power. He takes us and He shows us there's something outside this barbed wire. He shows us there's something to hope in because He's a powerful Creator. Also, He's, some, he's a God who's beyond our understanding. You know, if you could, do you ever think about the fact that if you could understand God, you would be God? You can understand Him, you'd be God. You'd be, you'd be there. But God gives us, shows us that He is beyond our understanding. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't ever understand Him at all. Because He does show us who He is in the person of His Son, Jesus. He explains Himself, John tells us in chapter 1 of John, through Jesus Christ. We understand Him through creation. We understand Him in our own consciences that we are created by God and we understand and we can be saved through the Word. But we can't find Him completely out, can we? This is what baffles us because we want a God who's in our own image. We want a God that we can figure out we want a God that we can ask all our questions and He's going to explain all the things we want to know about it. We want to know, we want to know an answer for this. We want an answer for that. But God doesn't want us to live based on explanations. God wants us to live by faith. God's providence and God's ways are past finding out. And sometimes maybe these things are bewildering to us, but they're not bewildering to God. God knows every crisis he knows how long He's going to have you in it. He knows when He's going to pull you out of it. He knows when He's going to give you the joy. And you know, one of the things that's very important for us to remember, everything that we're going through is according to His wisdom. It's according to His wisdom. 
So you and I, we are not to live our life based on explanations, although some of those are good. He tells us some things we can know, but some things belong only to Him, and He wants us to trust in Him. Well, fourth, God is powerful. It says there in verse 28, The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, He does not become weary or tired. He's undiminished in His power. Now, I know this is, this is probably... Silly illustration. But you know, my cousin, who died not too long ago, um, he used to drive a tanker truck full of gas. <laughs> I used to think about what he did. And he would drive that tanker out to the gas station and he'd take those hoses and he'd put the you know pipe on this end and put the pipe on that end and then he'd open up the valve let the gas go out of this tank into that tank in the ground so you and I can pump our gas and I'm thinking okay this tank down here is being filled up this tank's being emptied and I'm thinking about God God says he's undiminished power so when all this fuel's going into the ground at the end it's sort of empty right but if it's God it's never empty can you understand that I don't understand that. I don't understand how he can give me power and never be diminished of any power except that he says he's infinite. His tanker's always full. He's never diminished. He fills the ground tank up and he's still full. That's, what we, that's the God we have. We have a God who's a creator by the word of his power. We have a God who's everlasting. He's always with us in every one of our moments. He's holding us dear. He calls us by name. He speaks to us. He asks us questions in his word. He gets us to thinking, well, finally, this God, He can impart strength to us. And we see that in verse 29. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, He increases strength. Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. Strength to soar like an eagle or strength. Have y'all ever seen, have y'all ever read that in, in there about Elijah? And he outran King Ahab. King Ahab was in a chariot full of, with horses being pulled 17 miles to Jezreel. And Elijah outran them. How did he do that? <laughs> How did he do that? By the power, by the strength of the Lord imparted to him, we have a man named Enoch who walked with God for 300 years and then he was not. How did he walk with God? He never stopped walking. He always kept walking. Waiting on the Lord, it means to be hopeful, looking beyond the barbed wire, looking and seeing Jesus Christ who's with His church. He's with us. Oh, you say, I can't see Him, I can't see Him. Oh, but I can see Him by faith. Can't you see Him by faith? I want you to think about the three Hebrew children. Can you think about them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there they are. They're between two fiery furnaces, one fiery face and one fiery real furnace. And here's this guy, the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar's face was distorted. His face was messed up, distorted. And then on the other side of him, guys, there's this fire. And he says, if you don't bow down to this idol, then I'm going to throw you into my burning, fiery furnace. What do you want? They said, we will be rescued by God, but we will not bow down to your God. And did you ever think that they ever thought, well, God will start walking around with us in the furnace? Did you, did you think, do you think they were going, well, we're going to be thrown in and Jesus is going to come and walk in the furnace with me? I don't think they thought that. But Nebuchadnezzar stands back and says, didn't we just throw three people in the fire? And yet I see a fourth. <laughs> Who's in there with him? God showed up. 
Now, God would have showed up and saved them into heaven or saved them in the fire, but one way or the other, God saved them. And the same thing happens to Paul. There's so many other illustrations. He goes before Nero and he says, No one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And then he says this, But the Lord stood by my side. Jesus says the same thing. Jesus said, You disciples of mine will leave all of, leave me alone. You'll go to your homes. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. Friend, there's somebody outside this fence. <laughs> there's somebody outside the walls. There's somebody to put your hope and trust in. He's right here with us. Maybe he'll walk around in the fire. Maybe he'll walk into your lion's den and put his hands on their mouths and close their mouths. But he's here. He's with us. You may feel alone. You may feel in despair. But this God, he is a God of hope. Well, this morning we have the opportunity not only to hear about a word of hope, but we have a supper of hope right in front of us. And this, these visible elements, this bread and this wine, they preach a sermon to us that Jesus went to the cross and his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. And so you and I, we have an opportunity to eat and drink with Jesus himself. It's Jesus who instituted this supper. It's Jesus who serves this supper. He's going to hand you these elements through a puny man's hands. But you've got to see past me. And you have to see the one who's giving the bread to you. And so every one of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you know his greatness. And you know his nearness. And you know that he's imparted his strength to you. You're invited to this table. This morning, if you don't know what we're doing, I'm going to ask that you let the trays pass in front of you and say, you know, Pastor Mark, would you come and help me to understand how to, how to get ready to take the Lord's Supper in the future? Uh, if you don't know what we're doing, I'm going to ask you to do that. But let me, let me say something to you. I've been reading some sermons recently and about the Lord's Supper. It's really helpful to think about some of this. And the, the table is for ordinary sinners. The table's for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. It's for those who struggle with their sin and need God's grace. It's not, the warning, it's not for people who are defiant of Jesus' lordship. It's for people who need God's grace. And so I read this sermon, and one of the ministers was recounting how he saw an older woman sitting on the front row and how the, the, the bread passed in front of her and she let it go by. Then he saw that the wine goes in front of her and she let it go by. This is an older woman. She's up there weeping and crying. And so, and so he went and he got a piece of bread and he got a cup of wine and he went to her and he said, Woman, this is for sinners. It's, for not, it's not for people who are defiant of the will of God. It's for people who are broken over their sins. Now, some, don't let, oh, you know, man, I had a spat with my wife last week. I think I better not take the Lord's Supper. Does it concern you that you had a spat with your wife? Are you sorry about having a spat with your wife? Are you sorry? It's for humble people. It's for people who need grace, folks. <laughs> it's for sinners. It's not for those who are openly defined. I'm going to challenge you. If you say to me, I'm not going to take it today, I'm going to challenge you with this. Jesus says, this is my body. It's for you. This is my blood. It's for you. Do it. Do this. You need it. You need this grace. Unless you're just openly defiant of the Lordship of Christ, you need 
to eat and drink with Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to eat and drink with you through your Son, Jesus. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts. Father, we sorrow over our sins. We put all our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We find all our worthiness based on his righteousness and not ourselves. And Lord, we as your people, we come humble before you, repenting, believing, seeking to obey you and love you. And Lord, we would obey you even now as you tell us to eat and drink because it's for our good. Lord, we pray that you'll set these elements apart from their common and sacred use, that you would, uh, Lord, be glorified as we go through this, this uh, meal with you. In Jesus' name, amen.